Hi there, and welcome back to I Hadn't Considered That. I am your host, Vanessa Tori. I am sorry if I'm not my usual chipper self today. You know, actually, I'm not. I'm not sorry that I'm not my usual chipper self today, because I will tell you, it's really damn hard to be chipper right now. And I don't want to make an apology for feeling in a way that is totally normal, given what we have been through in the last week. So I'm not going to apologize for the fact that I am not a damn ray of sunshine today. And if you aren't either, that's fine too. I know that you don't need my permission to feel any way that you need to, but I'm telling you right now, whatever you feel, whether it is anger, frustration, confusion, despair, it's all totally valid. There is no prescribed way that we are supposed to feel however we feel right now is just fine. So let's give ourselves a little bit of grace so that we can have this conversation and that we could acknowledge each other. I have had so many conversations in the last week and they have been empowering and inspiring, but also totally riddled with frustration. There are three main things that I'm hearing in these conversations. They're big questions. One is what happened and what does this actually mean? Because some of the information that's coming out to us gives us some data, but it's hard to wrap our brains around what actually happens when we say that Roe was overturned. The second is how did we get here? How in the year 2022 did women just get stripped of a basic human right? And lastly, what do we do from here? Because people want change and they want it now but it's hard to wrap our arms around what that plan is that we need to make to get there. So our conversation today is going to center on those three things. What the hell happened and what does it mean? How did it happen? And what do we do? So let's start with the first one and let's talk about what this action by the Supreme Court actually means. In overturning Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court did not create or remove any law that the federal government had regarding abortions. The Supreme Court does not make law. Our members of Congress make law that apply to the federal government, to the entire country. What the Supreme Court does is take those laws and makes the determination as to whether or not there is a constitutional basis for that law in the U.S. Constitution. What the Supreme Court found in their opinion was that there is no constitutional right for a woman to have an abortion. Therefore, that woman's right is not protected by the federal government and by the United States Constitution. So what that means is that any decisions regarding the legality of abortions must happen at a state level. Of course, Republican lawmakers have been planning for this day for a very long time. Back in 2016, when Trump took office, one of the things that he ran on as part of his platform that so many Republican politicians have run on is that they will make sure that Roe v. Wade is overturned. That was a campaign promise made by many. Because this has been on such the forefront for politicians as something to accomplish, the states have been preparing for this. So what the states have been doing is the states have been drafting and approving state law that restricts a woman's right to have an abortion. Many of these laws have come forward as what is called a heartbeat law or a heartbeat bill. Those bills 
have set forth criteria that the state uses to determine when life starts in order to determine at what point a woman can no longer have an abortion. Throughout the United States of America, that varies significantly. That can be as little as six weeks, or that can be as long as 24 weeks. Within all of these state laws, there are various provisions. Some states allow for an abortion to be performed if the pregnancy is a result of incest or rape, or if that pregnancy poses a threat to the life of the mother. In some states, like what we are seeing in Ohio with the tragic case of a 10-year-old girl who was raped, who is being denied the ability to have an abortion because that pregnancy was discovered three days after the legal limit during which a woman would be allowed to have an abortion. So in the state of Ohio, there is a 10-year-old girl that is being forced to carry a pregnancy as a result of her rape to full term. Other states have been waiting in the wings for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And so what they did was put into place what is called a trigger law. So 18 states passed trigger laws, which meant that these laws had originally been challenged, but the court overturned those laws and said that is no longer able to be put into the law books in that state because Roe v. Wade precedes that. Now that Roe v. Wade has been removed, those 18 states with those trigger laws can now put those laws on the books and enforce them. So now what this means is that your state legislators have the sole responsibility and authority to determine whether or not a woman in that state can have an abortion and when. So this now brings us to the question of how did we get here? There is an analogy about a frog in boiling water. And if you're not familiar with the analogy, you think about it in these terms. If you get a pot of water and you bring the pot of water to a boil and you dump a frog into it, that frog is going to freak out and try and get the hell out of that pot in any way, shape, or form. However, there is a much more sinister way to boil a frog. And that is where you put the frog into the water and you slowly increase the heat of the water in that pot until it is boiling. And what happens is the frog is not aware that it is being boiled because it adjusts until eventually the frog is sitting in a pot of boiling water. Ladies, we are the frog. The way this has happened is that there are Republican lawmakers who have been slowly turning up the heat in our pot of water over time, and we have not realized it. The way that this has been allowed to happen is that our voting systems and our governmental structures are flawed. And I don't think I need to tell you that, but I want to tell you a little bit about exactly what those flaws are. One of the ways in which our governmental system is flawed is through something called gerrymandering. And I know all of us had to sit through that class in high school where they explain things to us like the filibuster and gerrymandering and what all of these things are. But man, that was not important to 18-year-old us. We just learned that. We passed our final exam and then we went about our business and we never thought about it again because we didn't have to. But I'm telling you, you need to think about it today. So for those of you who forgot, I'm going to give you a really quick refresher on gerrymandering and what that means and why it's important for you to pay attention to it. Every 10 years, we have the census. The data is taken from that census and districts for voting are redrawn within states. So you have a congressional district and then you have a legislative district within your state. 
Those districts are used to determine the voting for the president, for Congress, and for your state legislators. When those boundaries are being redrawn, there is criteria from the federal government that those boundaries for those districts need to meet in order to be equitable. In 33 states, the legislators within those states, meaning the members of the state Senate and the state House, are in charge of drawing those boundaries. In eight states, there is a redistricting committee or commission that will redraw the boundaries. In two states, it's sort of a hybrid, and the remaining states don't need to have districts because they're so small. Here's the problem with gerrymandering. If you have, say, in these 33 states, a state Senate and a state House that is controlled by one party, that means one party is drawing the boundaries for voting. So what they can do is they can take the numbers in each of those districts, congressional or legislative, and skew the numbers so that those districts favor that party that they serve. What that allows for is for their party to remain in power, both in Congress and at a state level. So in gerrymandering, that ensures power and control remains with that party. Now, of course, there are checks and balances that are in place for this. One of the ways that the checks and balance system works is that if there is a challenge to a district that people say it unfairly gives an advantage to a certain party, it can be challenged by a state Supreme Court or it can be vetoed by the governor. And then within those states, those states have their own rules for how those boundaries are drawn. So I want to give you an example of North Carolina because the Supreme Court also did something on Thursday that you may not be aware of. And that is that they agreed to hear a case called Moore versus Harper. What happened in North Carolina is that the state legislators got together, drew the boundaries for the state, but those boundaries were challenged as being unequitable. That challenge went to North Carolina Supreme Court and the court found that they were indeed inequitable. And then the court redrew the boundaries. Well, as you can imagine, the Republican legislators that drew those boundaries were not pleased. So what those legislators did is that they filed a lawsuit and sent it up to the Supreme Court, and they used the grounds of a clause within the United States Constitution called the Elections Clause. And what this clause states is that the state legislatures have the sole responsibility of determining how elections are run within their state. What these folks from North Carolina are interpreting that as that they have the final say in those redistricting boundaries. That means that if the Supreme Court sides with the North Carolina legislators, that could potentially remove a governor's ability to veto a districting boundary or the state's Supreme Court to redraw those boundaries. What that means is that our state legislators, if the Supreme Court sides with these North Carolina legislators, any state that has a state legislator controlled solely by one party can gerrymander their state. And this is happening. This is a very real thing. I'm looking at you, Texas. The reason why I'm bringing this up is that any time that an election or an election process is created or implemented that gives one party or one group an advantage over another, the other group or groups suffer. And we are seeing this over and over again. This is what is happening with voter suppression laws. Let's be real here as to who this affects. These election laws within states, this gerrymandering, 
all of these voting right bills that are being put into action to strip people from being able to vote in an easy and convenient manner are designed to harm minorities, marginalized groups, people of color. And if you don't think for one minute that the overturning of Roe v. Wade was just one more instrument that is being used so that people of low income and people of color can stay in a status level under others, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. This is absolutely a case of the rich get rich and the poor stay poor. Think about it this way. Who has the least access to affordable, convenient healthcare, birth control, and reproductive care? Minorities, communities of color. Look, listen, I am privileged. I understand that. I am a white woman living in the 10th largest metro area in the country. Let me put a fine point on this. I went online and I looked up Planned Parenthood clinics and there are four Planned Parenthood clinics within 15 miles of my house. Planned Parenthood is known as being the first and foremost resource for women to get easy, convenient, reproductive health care. There is only one Planned Parenthood in the entire state of Mississippi. Mississippi also happens to be the most low-income state in the United States. My access to reproductive health care is so much greater than that of a woman of color living in a rural part of our country or even the outskirts of a well-populated area. If these women cannot get the care that they need, they cannot be in control of their own bodies. And if they can't be in control of their own bodies, the government has just stepped in and said, that's not a problem. I will control your body. One of the other ways in which this happened is that we are not having conversations that need to be had, and that is not necessarily our fault. There are a lot of conversations that people just simply do not want to have. Case in point, so much of this is being driven by the Christian nationalist agenda. They are the ones who also refuse for there to be sex education in schools. So they don't want to talk about sex. They don't want to publicly fund family planning, but they want women to magically just stop getting pregnant. Also, fun fact, in case you didn't know, everyone gets up in arms over federal funds going to Planned Parenthood to provide birth control, which by the way, no federal funds go to abortions. I don't know where that story started. That has never been true. There is something in place that was put into place with Roe v. Wade called the Hyde Amendment. And the Hyde Amendment deems that no federal funds can be used to provide abortion care. However, for as many people who may be upset that there are federal funds going to provide women contraception, there is $84 million being provided by the federal government to members of the military to give them free erectile dysfunction medication. So apparently the government is super concerned that a man can have sex but not that the man can get a woman pregnant. That is a conversation that we need to have. I also wanna talk for a minute about the conversation that we're not having regarding men and women and their responsibilities regarding birth control. Because everything that I am hearing for the last week has put the family planning and birth control and pregnancy solely on the shoulders of women and I'm not having that anymore. The responsibility to make sure that there are not unwanted pregnancies is equally a man's and a woman's. But there are some facts that we need to talk about regarding contraception and the reality of what it means for men versus women.
everybody acts like the key and the secret to making sure that there are no unwanted pregnancies is that all the women in the entire world just go on the pill. But as we talked about previously, if women don't have access to clinics or funds in order to be able to get the reproductive health care that they need, they're not going to be able to get the contraceptive care that they need to prevent those pregnancies. Also, birth control is not a long-term solution for any woman. Birth control is damaging to a woman's body, whether it is the birth control shot, whether it is the patch, whether it is the pill. It affects our hormones, it affects our reproductive system, and it is damaging to us in the long run. So let's stop acting like the pill is just magic. If we remove the pill from the table, contraception favors men so much more than it does women. I looked on Amazon today. A box of 10 condoms is $8. The morning after pill is available over the counter and costs about $10 per pill. However, that is not a magic pill either. This is not a feasible means for a woman to prevent pregnancy because it wreaks havoc on a woman's reproductive system. So asking a woman to just skip on over to Walgreens and get the morning after pill every single time that she has sex is ridiculous. Other methods of preventing pregnancy for women, meaning female condoms or sponges, have a 20% failure rate and cost up to five times what male condoms do. As a woman, paying up to five to $10 every single time you wanna have sex is ridiculous. That is some patriarchal bullshit. It is cheaper and easier for a man just to wear a condom. However, startling information, there was a study that was done in London that found that one third of women have been a victim of something that is called stealthing. If you don't know what stealthing is, that is where men and women engage in sex. The man is asked to wear a condom. The man agrees to wear the condom, but during the act of sex, he removes the condom. This is not done because a man is chomping at the bit to get the woman pregnant and to start a family. He does it because he does not want to use the condom. For some reason, men being in charge of birth control and contraception is somehow not normalized. So let's change the narrative around that, shall we? I'm a little fired up about this, and I think that you can tell. But I am not the type of person that is just going to talk about this. I don't want to sit here and be angry and to just tell you what's wrong with the world. I'm a woman of action, and so what I'm asking you to do is to get into that space with me. Because what I want to talk now about is what do we do about this? How do we fix this? Let's understand one thing, okay? The patriarchy, is a, it's a damn tower. Okay. White Christian nationalism is a tower and we can't dismantle these towers from the top down. Think about this. Like if you've ever played Jenga, if you're trying to take down your opponent by toppling the Jenga tower, you don't take pieces off of the top, right? You have to start at the bottom. And what I keep hearing people say is that the solution to all of this is we just need to go out and vote. We need to make sure that we have a democratic president. We need to make sure that we have democratic senators and representatives in Congress. And that is great. And yes, we absolutely need to do that. But if that is all we're focusing on, if going down to our state capitals with signs and marching, the only things that we're focusing on, we're missing the boat and this is never going to change. What is at stake right now is dire. And I'm not being dramatic when I say that. Now, I understand that from time to time, I can be dramatic. You know what? No, I'm going to not make an apology for that either. Fuck that. I am not dramatic. I am passionate. And let's not confuse the two. People use words like dramatic 
to minimize our emotions. And mostly this only happens to women. When was the last time that you saw someone tell a man, oh, you're just being dramatic. Like men can fly off the handle in a boardroom and they're being powerful. A woman shows any sign of elevated emotion anywhere and suddenly we're being dramatic. So if you want to call me dramatic because I'm passionate about not stripping away the rights of human beings, I will wear that brand all goddamn day long. Hand it over. I will do it with pride because I'm done being small and I'm done thinking that being passionate about this is not okay because this is the time for us to be passionate. So let's take that passion and put it into action. This started at the bottom. And if we want to fix this, what we need to do to get control over our bodies and our lives again, and if we want others to have control over their bodies and their lives, we need to start at the bottom and start taking pieces out of the tower because it is very real that the rights of women have been stripped and that is not going to be where it's going to end. So this is not just about Roe v. Wade. This is a matter of fighting for the rights of anybody who has the rights to exist in this world as they are threatened right now. Yes, we do need to vote, but we have a problem right now, and that is that only half of registered voters show up at the polls during the midterms. So we are fighting an uphill battle. It is critical right now that people actually do get to the polls. So what we're facing right now is the potential for low voter turnout at a time that is most critical. With the Supreme Court making more and more moves to giving states control of making laws that govern reproductive care, voting processes, or anything else, it is of utmost importance that people start getting more involved in their local elections. One of the issues that states face with elections is that most people show up and they vote for the big names or at the top of the ballot. They'll vote for president. They'll vote for the U.S. Senate. They'll vote for U.S. House of Representatives. They'll vote for names that they see often. And the further that people move down the ballot, the less likely they are to know who the candidates are and to vote for those candidates. This is how state legislatures get skewed toward one party over another. People do not place the importance on voting what we call down ballot. Down ballot races are those ones that are toward the bottom of your ballot that get overlooked. We need to understand what our state legislative district is, who's running in those races, and we need to show up at the polls to make sure that we are making a decision and having our voice heard on a local level so that the lawmakers that are now empowered with these decisions that the Supreme Court has absolved themselves with are working in our own best interests. This is how we affect change. There's so much that can be done before people even start to head to the polls. And this is where I implore you to get involved in what's going on in your state at a very local level in a very actionable way. There are so many different volunteer opportunities where you can work with candidates in your area to ensure that people that share your perspectives and share your passion are the ones that are getting onto the ballot and into the state legislature. But those folks don't happen there by magic. There's so much hard work that goes into getting them there. And so getting the word out for people to understand who those candidates are and to spread the word to let people know that they have to vote down ballot. They have to vote for the people that are going to serve them in their state legislature, because if they don't, they are relinquishing their control to whoever just happens to land there. So if you have the means 
please volunteer to help a candidate. There's so many different ways you can do that. You don't even have to leave your home to do it. You can send postcards to voters to remind them that they need to vote down ballot. You can send postcards to folks to let them know who the candidates are. You can do a lit drop where you get a list of addresses to bring literature to those voters so they're more educated when they show up to the polls. You can phone bank, you can text bank. There's so many different ways that you can get involved, but if that is not your thing, I understand that. It is outside of a lot of people's comfort zone. Please just have the conversation with those around you to let them know the importance of voting for folks in state legislature. If we can do all of these things and we can get the right people representing us so that the people that are making these decisions are taking our voices into consideration so that our rights remain intact and protected, we're onto something. I don't believe that all hope is lost here. I'm just not that kind of person. As frustrated as I am, I am still remaining optimistic that we can do something to affect change. This is my own Pollyanna attitude that I take, and I am not going to stop fighting. I am not going to stop giving this all of the effort that I possibly can. And so I hope that today you have learned a little bit about maybe what you can do. I hope that you give this some thought and some reflection so that you can come up with your own action plan. There's a couple other things that I want to offer to you. If you have questions about any of this, if you need any help, I don't care where you are. I don't care what state you're in. Reach out to me. I am happy to help in any way that I can. If, if there are resources that you need, I am happy to help you find them. The more people that we have working toward the common good, the better. If you have a friend that is not understanding what has been happening in the last week that has concerns, that wants to know what they can do to change this course, please share this with them because the more that we're on the same page and the more that we have locked arms to move forward together, the stronger we're going to be. Lastly, before we go, I also want to take a moment to remind you to take care of yourself. This is stressful and you need to take a minute for self-care. I don't know what that looks like for you. For me, oddly, I've been making ice cream. Apparently the machine against which I am raging is a Cuisinart ice cream, but for some reason, it makes me feel really good to dump a bunch of cream into this weird machine and just watch it churn for 25 minutes. It, I go into some strange Zen-like state. Whatever that looks like for you, as goofy as it may be, just do it, take a long bath, go for a walk, cook for your family, go out with your friends, avoid going out at your friends, whatever it is, whatever feels good, as long as you are not hurting yourself or anybody else, do it. Take good care of yourself and be good to each other. And thank you so much for your concern and your action. We're going to fix this. I know we will. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast, where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon.